Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's Teaching of the Week. If this is your first time, welcome. So glad that you were able to join us. If you'd like to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about restoration, you can go to restorationaz.org. And with that said, Landon! Prepare to be disappointed. bookmark. By the way, for the epic, really exciting, as Nate describes it, party that we're going to throw on Christmas Eve Eve, we are looking for some volunteers, and there's a sign-up in the the back corner. We'd love for you to see the opportunities and help us out for one of those uh, time slots. I think it's cut in half, so either four to six or six to eight on Christmas Eve Eve. If you have a, a Bible, would love for you to turn to Really anywhere. We're going to be kind of all over the place today, so good luck. We'll see what happens. We're going to end our series through the Ten Commandments next Sunday. Today, we're in the ninth. Last week, I think I read from First John that God is love. And you can flip through these scriptures and read so much about the love of God. And we sing songs about the love of God and how it will never fail us. And that is a deep, resounding truth in the worst and most broken moments, especially when it feels like it isn't true. That is when it is most true. Jesus is love, and he gives that love continuously, and and that is worth the songs that we sing and the the truths that we read and study and talk about. God is love. God's love matters so much, and God also hates. There are things God hates, not just Old Testament God. He and Jesus are, are one. Jesus also hates You can't actually read these scriptures and pick and choose what you want to believe they say. They clearly articulate that there are things that Jesus hates. And that's a strong word. And the reality is that for those of us in this room, for us that we kind of maybe refer to as a people called Restoration Church, we far too often have participated in some of the things that Jesus hates. And today we're going to talk about one of those that also is a part of the Ten Commandments. Let me read from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Yahweh hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. God is love, but God also hates. Exodus 20, I think verse 16 is the commandment today. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. To do so, if we study the scriptures, is to ignore something that Jesus hates. The 
primary context of, of this command, which is always important to consider, is a court or a legal setting, specifically a situation where somebody is being placed on trial and a witness is called either to aid in the prosecution of this individual based on their testimony or to come in their defense based on their testimony. And specifically what is hated is when that person lies about the individual. And why would they lie? always out of self-gain, looking to get an upper hand or a foot forward, whatever it is, and Jesus hates that. The context, though, goes beyond. It kind of bleeds bigger than just a court or legal setting, though that's the core. The expositor's Bible commentary puts it this way. Included in this command is a call to abstain from all lying, deceit, Slander, gossip, backbiting, vilification, rash depiction of one's neighbors, and the like. I want to read a portion of Psalm 27 to you. The Psalms are powerful because we can often feel what the psalmist is feeling. We can relate to what is going on and kind of with that in mind, hear these words and feel what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 27. I'm going to begin in verse 7. Yahweh, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. You've maybe perhaps prayed that prayer before. God, please listen. God, I need you now. My heart says this about you. You are to seek my face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Psalmist continues, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. That is a really powerful combination of words. False witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. Violent breaths aimed in the direction of a person. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever taken the punch of somebody aiming violent breaths at you that weren't true, that were twisted or distorted in some form or fashion to paint a picture so that they could gain something out of it, perhaps by cutting you down. Have you ever felt violent breaths sent your way? The psalmist feels it here. They're painful moments. Have you ever, on the other hand, set your aim in the direction of another human being that Jesus loves enough to give up his life for on a cross and breathe violent breaths in their direction? And in this case, you were the one to cause that pain. That's what we're discussing this morning. This is something Jesus hates, and I think anything Jesus hates is probably something worthy of us taking really seriously. These Ten Commandments are all felt differently by different people, though most of us have probably not felt the direct impact of murder, some probably have. I bet that's experienced in this room. Theft certainly has been. Adultery has been felt. 
pain caused in that way. But I'm willing to bet a whole lot that every single person sitting or standing in this room at this moment has either felt the pain caused by false testimony, breathed violently in their direction, or they themselves have breathed violently false testimony in the direction of another. So it's a more common sin. I like to think of sin, too, as this degrading of what humanity is actually meant to be. That all of us have experienced, and maybe, though it's less severe sounding than murder or adultery or theft, its impact might actually be wider and deeper because it's so common, and maybe, just maybe, we've accepted it as okay. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. There's, there's good news if you're on the, the side of these breaths of violence where it's being aimed at you. Listen to what the psalmist says. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living, meaning he does not see it yet. He does not feel it now. But the words of the Lord will prevail. Wait for the Lord, which is never fun, waiting for the Lord. Be strong and courageous, which probably means you're not in the moment if you have to be reminded of it. And then once again, wait for the Lord. Here's the good news in that. He will arrive. He will show up. His words will prevail. They will not fall short. So if that is you, you can find hope in this. The bad news, though, is if you're on the other side and the breaths of violence are coming from you aimed at someone else, you're embracing and partaking and engaging in something that Jesus hates. Again, you've likely felt what the psalmist here has felt or caused that feeling significant. It's something for us to take seriously. The scriptures talk a lot, a lot about this as well. Let me read from 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. Paul's writing to a church of normal people like us in a place called Corinth. He says, For I fear that perhaps when I come I will not find you to be what I want, and I may not be found by you to be what you want. There may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. <clears throat> you can kind of hear Paul's passion. Those are things we often don't make a big deal out of, actually. We don't seem too worried about those things in the church. There's a list of bigger sins that we would prefer to talk about. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, 29 through 32. Paul is writing here as well to a different church, a different group of people facing their own issues, but he has a similar message. There's patterns in our humanity. He says this, no foul, or depending on the, the translation, filthy language is to come from your mouth. None of it, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear and do not grieve God's Holy Spirit you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you. Interesting. He doesn't say pretend it doesn't exist. 
doesn't say just make it better. The first step is this surgical sort of removal of slander from within. And why do we slander? To take someone else down, to lift ourselves up. It must be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you. This passage is kind of one of those classic passages that is most abused and misused, I think, of the scriptures. It's often kind of abused and misused to create this legalistic idea of what it means to be quote-unquote Christian. Almost like a a TV rating. Got G and PG and PG-13 and R and TV mature or whatever it is. And what we hear here when we read this is don't put together any of those God-awful four-letter words. Because God forbid if you do, lightning's going to get struck. And those are the things we hear about. I remember so distinctly one day, this is like four years ago, sitting in a, a leadership moment in this room. We were doing a training on counseling. And the topic of, of rape was brought up. And somebody was saying that God caused this in this scenario that they were working through in this, this counseling session of how to counsel. And a person at our table said a four-letter word. Like, no, that's not it. And somebody at that table ripped her and kept going because she, quote-unquote, cursed in this moment. One of these filthy, foul language, four-letter words things. And I came to that person's defense like, no, you could not be more wrong. This is the issue. That person out of love is seeking to protect others. And what you care about is four of the 26 letters in the alphabet being combined. That's not what Paul is saying, and we can't get distracted by that. Hear Paul's passion have nothing to do with this detestable, filthy, awful language that never should enter your mouth. It's not four-letter words. It's not in a TV rating. Filthy language is language filled with slander meant to harm people. And Jesus hates it. How devastating is it if you felt it? I've felt it. I know this, actually, pretty well at this point in my life. How devastating is it to feel the pain of somebody falsely saying things about you intentionally with malice, with anger, with gossip, with slander, it hurts. How much worse is it, though, when it's us as the people of Jesus breathing those violent words? It can't be so. We need Jesus' love to flow from within and then come out so that that is not who we are because Unfortunately, the reality is, as the world looks upon the church, what the world often hears are breaths of violence coming from the church. Not breaths of encouragement, breaths of generosity, breaths of celebration, violent, slanderous words tearing people apart. Not holistically. A lot of people get this right. But there's a lot of situations where this is the reality, and it just can't be again. Something Jesus hates is something we probably should take very seriously. Proverbs 2021, 22, 1 says this, 
A good name is to be chosen over great wealth. That's how valuable it is. Favor is better than silver or gold. And I love what Phil Riken says about this passage. He says, one problem with gossip is that it tries to steal this treasure. Perhaps the way we need to think about this ninth commandment is elevate it. It is stealing. It is theft. When you degrade and you diminish, demean, devalue, when you strip away what is true about a person and whatever kind of words you use about them, you are stealing, make no mistake, something that God himself has proclaimed as very valuable, something that is a treasure that you are taking for your own in selfish gain, and we do this a lot. And as Christians, often in the church, we've gotten really, really, really absurdly good at it. We actually will, will come to people with like a slightly high-pitched voice. We'll say, oh, it's just out of love I'm sharing this. I just want what's best for them. They're not there in the moment, but out of love, we need to talk about this. You need to know for whatever reason. Or maybe we'll throw some random scripture verses with it so we feel good about it. And now it's spiritual as we degrade one another or someone else. Might package it with some nice things. But at the end of the day, there's something devastating about false testimony. And what Paul says is the church, we should have nothing to do with that filth. Because it is that. It is filth. The people of Jesus cannot be known as people that breathe violence. Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Respectable Sins, and I think that's just the most brilliant title. The subtitle is Confronting the Sins that We Tolerate. Respectable sins, confronting the sins that we tolerate. I think this is one of those. Gossip, slander, malice, carefully crafted words, partial truths twisted to make a point, to get an upper hand to overtly gain something over another. The ninth commandment, I think, is a respectable sin, and we have to remove it from that list and respect how significant it actually is. In that book, he says this, sin is a spiritual and moral malignancy. Left unchecked, it can spread throughout our entire inner being and contaminate every area of our lives. Even worse, it often will metastasize from us into the lives of other believers around us. You felt this. You walk into any church building or church community, you will always feel something, and that something is culture, that something is the spirit there. And sometimes what is awful is that this is the spirit you feel, and you can feel it quickly, like a wave of sickness. Or you can feel a different spirit of generosity and grace and freedom that's uplifting and celebratory. You know this. You've walked into the different rooms, the different areas, the different places, the different communities, and you know the spirit one way or the other that I'm talking about. You probably also know which spirit you've contributed to. Let's get practical for a moment. For followers of Jesus, pushing another down is never the way to get up. As we follow Jesus, pushing with our words, cutting down with our words, distorting with our words is never the way to get up. It must not be so with us. 
So how do we avoid that? Two of my favorite words, killing triangles. Killing triangles. As a staff, we talk about this all the time. My family talks about this all the time. The art of killing triangles is one of the most important things you can ever do. By triangles, I mean this. A relationship of conversations between three people or three groups, but not together at the same time. You could have Jason, Sally, and Sarah, and Jason might walk up to Sally and go, hey, did you know this? And then later, Sally will go to Sarah and go, hey, Jason told me whatever, or somebody told me. My personal favorite is, the people are telling me, or some people, and you go, like, which people? I'm like, there's one. Okay. But we're good at crafting these things and manipulation, maybe even making it seem like out of the goodness of our heart, we're looking out for someone. But these triangles are born, and those triangles breed death and animosity and slander and selfish gain instead of self-love, instead of love for our neighbor. By neighbor, I mean figurative neighbor, geographical neighbor, neighbor at the grocery store, cubicle next to you, people you work with, whoever it is. But we have to kill these triangles. Have to. So how? Phil Riken in the, the same books poses these questions that we should ask if we find ourselves maybe in the midst of a triangle. Ask yourself, is what I am about to say true? If so, does it really need to be said to this person in this conversation? Would I put it this way if the person I'm talking about were here to listen? If our words fail these simple tests, then it would be better for us not to speak at all. That's the speaking side, but communication is a, a two-way two-way street. There's also the listening component of any conversation. So I would apply the same set of questions uh, to the listening side. Is what I am listening to true? If so, does it really need to be said by this person in this conversation? Would it be put this way if the person being talked about were here to listen? Have you ever found yourself speaking in one of those conversations or listening in one of those conversations and not knowing what to do. Probably have some sense, it's probably the spirit telling you this is not good. Maybe gently, maybe boldly prodding you that this is something God himself hates. Whether the things are true or not, that's not the way to go about it. If so, it's actually pretty easy to get out of these triangles to squash and kill them. It's simple, you just say, it sounds like this is something you need to say directly to that person. This sounds like a conversation I don't need to be a part of, but the two of you need to have. And it kills it every time. You don't have to say it rudely or as if you're better than them. We all need to be reminded of that because we have this tendency to move back towards these triangles. It's kind of like this endless game of whack-a-mole. You squish one triangle, and then you got to be ready for the next one because they just keep popping up again and again and again. So be prepared. And don't stop and don't quit because that's what love demands. That's the, the way that is good. Let's take it a step further, though. We've, we've talked throughout this series on the Ten Commandments that they are not some magical spiritual test that for the Israelites, as they left oppression and slavery and abuse in Egypt, if they pass this Ten question, ten command test, then they get to go to the promised land. For us, that's not a magical spiritual test, that if we do these for the most part, like you get above a C or something on the Ten Commandments, you can fly away to heaven, oh glory, one day. 
It does not work that way. That's not what the Gospels say. It's not a test. This is a vision. This is a painting. This is a way of life. I say it all the time, but we have to absolutely remember that the way of Jesus is not merely correct. It's not about being right. It's good. It's good. And what is good about the way of Jesus here is that we don't demean and cut down. We don't have to because we've experienced love ourselves. So instead, what is the inverse of false testimony against your neighbor. Let's not stop at not doing bad things. Let's move towards doing what is good. That's what Jesus calls us to. That is this. What if instead of false testimony on whatever scale, we generously celebrate our neighbors? That's the inverse. Can you imagine that world? Like there's so many triangles popping up all the time. What if instead of those triangles, what was popping up all the time was us in the midst of conversations generously? We're called to practice generosity as a church. We talk about it a lot. Sure, with our finances, with our time, our skill sets, also with our communication. What if we generously outpoured celebration of our neighbor? Yes, the house next to you on your left or right or across the street and the bank teller or the person at the grocery store, person you work with, maybe especially the one you don't like can you find the littlest thing in them and go man God did actually plant a tiny little brilliant seed there somewhere (laughs) and work to bring it out and go hey there's something great about you I haven't found out what it is yet but tomorrow I'm going to get back to you on that (laughs) or ask a friend for help go hey have you found anything good in them just kidding don't do that that'd be bad But in every one of us, like core to our theology is that Jesus made people brilliantly. So find that. Have a radar to see it and compliment it. Bring it out. Honestly, imagine that world for a second where we're not filling the air around us with breaths of violence sent in the direction of people Jesus loves, but instead breaths of encouragement and celebration to bring out what is already good in them because Jesus made them that way. That matters. That's a vision worth pursuing that genuinely is a community-changing ideal. What if this week we did that? Every time you're tempted to let a triangle pop up, you smash it and replace it with generous celebration of the neighbor. I don't remember which of the uh, Ten Commandments we were in, but one of them I I read, Colossians chapter 3, a few weeks ago, and I... I want to reread that to you. It's just, it's so powerful and appropriate. Let me start in verse five and we'll close with this. Paul says, to another church of normal people like us, this time in a a town, a city called Colossae. Therefore, and the therefore refers to now being in Christ. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedience, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. By the way, I love the scriptures, because when you actually read these, like who wouldn't want this world? Who wouldn't want this way where we're rid of these things that only do people and ourselves harm? Verse 8, but now you must also put away all of the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language. What does filthy language mean? It's not what gets bleeped out. It's the filth of detestable things said about people Jesus loves that we are called to actually build up, not to tear down. Now, let me clarify something here incredibly important. One of the 
most grave mistakes that we do make as the church is we think love means being nice all the time. And one of the worst things you can do for people is be nice all the time because you're personally too selfish and afraid to deal with real issues. That causes all kinds of pain and discomfort. It actually breeds triangles that will continue and continue and continue. We are called, like, look at the words of Jesus. There's a lot of conflict in Jesus' life with the people he loves. Now, it's always in order to seek what is good. But he comes and meets people face to face and says what needs to be said with their best interests in mind. There's an art to that. It takes a lot of practice. But what we need to do is that. Have the conversation face to face. Part of the way we stop false testimony is we're quicker to go have the hard conversations we need to. That's part of the way of love. So this is not saying don't have conflict. Actually, it might say have better conflict more frequently. That's the only way health can be achieved. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, again, because we are united with Christ, Christ is in us, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, because you are loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I love this list. And it doesn't say sprinkle a little bit. This is not like when you read a recipe and it says salt and pepper to taste. Like it's not a little bit like overflow continuously, constantly let it pour out. Not, oh, you know what? I've not let out any kindness since last month. I should probably throw a little bit in there. Like every day, let it overflow and erupt and go everywhere Heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. I kind of feel like Paul messed up here, though. Instead of if anyone has a complaint, it probably should say when. (laughs) Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That one's interesting. If we forgive, we probably don't have reason to still slander and give false testimony because we've dealt with it. False testimony happens when we've not dealt with it. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah, to which you are also called in one body, control, strong word, control your hearts because we've rid ourselves of the slander within because we're loved, and now we've forgiven because we've been forgiven, because God is love. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly, overflow among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, Included within that is when you speak about or to other people. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's pretty simple. It's a lot of work. Can we be a people that kill triangles? Can we be a people that do not speak false testimony on any scale and any form or fashion? And can we replace that by generously celebrating those around us?
dealing with conflict when we need to, it will be there. But generously celebrating those around us. Let's practice that this week. Jesus, we thank you for your love and your goodness. And you say that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So may you overflow in our hearts. Overwhelm us and guide us. Give us wisdom. Give us patience and kindness and compassion and let that flow through us. It's what you've offered to us. May you lead us to speak well how you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona, and we are so thankful that you were able to tune in. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, Jump over to restorationaz.org to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we're about. Um, And if you have questions or if you'd like to connect with us, um, go ahead and hit that contact tab. We'd love to connect with you. And uh, until next time, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.